Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Let's back up, and I'm, I'm, I'm really going to try to do this quickly. Jude chapter, or verse 3, this is where we started this. We're, we're battling for a breakthrough. Now, the principles here work, and, and I'm going to get to the, to the principles here that, that will change your life and will change our church's life. But the, the principle starts here in Jude 3. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you. This is the Greek word parakaleo. God said, I'm coming alongside challenging you, begging you, exhorting you. Contend earnestly for the faith. We looked at, at Ephesians 6.12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The word wrestle there is very close to the word uh, uh, contend with. It means to take and pin down and put your, your hand on their throat. It's not people. We're not contending. I guarantee you, I know Pastor's heart. He's not mad at you. But I'm, I agree with him. I'm sick and tired of seeing the devil run roughshod over my life, over your life, over our church's life, over my nation, over this world. I'm tired of it. And I'm going to stand up and do what I can do. He says you have to wrestle against them. This is, this is not something that you just do once and it's done forever. This is a continuous action that you have to continually do. But it's against the, the, the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. If you're not prepared to fight this battle on a spiritual level, just write it down. This is 100% true all the time, every time. You are going to get your butt kicked. That's King James, but that's true. This is a spiritual battle, not a natural battle. It's not people. It's never people. It's the devil in all of his cohorts. To do this, we looked at Galatians 5.11. For our own personal life, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have to do this methodically. Walk it out day by day by day by day. How do I do this? It's a struggle. The struggle is in Colossians 3. We saw it. Verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Right there, Paul says, if you're born again, seek the things of God. Well, wait a minute. If I'm born again, why do I have to seek the things of God? I'm seated with Him in heavenly places. Because James also tells us that we tend to forget what kind of man we are. 
We have to constantly take ourselves and put our mind back on the Word, back on who the Bible says, who Jesus says we are and what He says we have. And if we don't continually, habitually do that, then we will forget and we will start walking in the flesh just because of neglect. He says, verse 2, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. You have to take your, your, your mind just like you do a little child. I don't have little kids anymore, but and then sometimes you have to trick the little kids. You come to a road, you know, I do it with my grandkids. Can, can you guys hold my hand? I need help going across the street. Why do I do that? Because if I try to take their hand, it's no, I do it. I do it. Boy, if that doesn't prove there's flesh, we're born with the nature of the flesh. Every two-year-old knows that word. No, I do it. Why? Because they want to do it their way. And sometimes, sometimes you just have to snatch your little hand and hold on to it lest they get killed. But, but sometimes you find little tricks and say, help me across the street, and they think they're helping you because you're old and decrepit, you know. And in reality, you're just guarding their life. That's what God's saying, do this. And in, on down in Colossians 3, verse 16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We looked at this last week. That means you have to do this continually. You do. It's a command. It's not something that, well, I, I just don't have time to read my Bible today. Well, okay. That'd be like saying, I don't have time to put my seatbelt on. Well, I hope you don't have a wreck, because it's going to be a whole lot worse if you don't. This is the most important thing in your life. If, if your Bible holds the key and the secret of life, then why do we not just devour it? Because when it comes down to it, sometimes we just don't really believe that. Now, how do we do this? How do I let the word of Christ dwell in me richly? How do I wrestle with principalities and powers? We'll go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews, and we're going to start in verse 1, but let me remind you, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please God. God is only pleased by one thing, and that's you walking in faith. If you want to question that God would ask you in heaven, and I know the old evangelist in me says, you know, if you died today, why would God let you in his heaven? What question would he ask you? Well, there's going to be only one question he's going to ask you. Did you walk in faith? Do you walk in faith? First towards me for the ultimate prize, getting into heaven. But did you walk in me in everyday life? Were you believing me for anything or were you just kind of floating along? Well, you know, you never know what God will do. Yes, you do. He'll do exactly what he said he will do. Well, Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. How do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? How do we wrestle against principalities and powers and might and dominion? We do it by hoping. Now I know years ago, I, I, I heard Kenneth E. Hagin say this, or maybe it was, it was Junior said it, that 
they were at camp meeting and somebody walked in and had a t-shirt on that said, hope is a four-letter word, meaning I'm not in hope, I'm in faith. Well, he never read Romans 8, 24. And we're going to come back to Hebrews 11, so hold your place there. But Romans 8, 24, Paul said the same thing here. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is not seen, or excuse me, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Well, that's just clear as mud, Paul. What's he saying? He's saying hope is always future tense. But Bible hope and Bible faith look almost identical. The only difference is my hope is centered out there. That's where I'm going. I know. We get ready to go somewhere. Gina will ask me, do you know how to get there? Well, sometimes I do because I have a pretty good sense of direction. Sometimes I know about where it is, and I'm not going to look the map because I just want to go, you know, if I get in the general area, I, you know, occasionally before Google Maps, she would ask me, do you know where you are? Well, sort of. Do you know where we're going? Yeah, that I know. Well, we're not there. I said, I know, just give it a minute. And I would just start circling until I found it. I was exploring I learned, now I, I still haven't learned much of Indianapolis because we've only been here a few years, but I learned Louisville's near where I grew up. That was the city I grew up near. I know Louisville like the back of my hand. Why? Because I explored. I needed somewhere to go. I didn't pull, this was before cell phones and Google Maps. I didn't pull out a paper map. I just knew, well, it's sort of close to that place, and I'll get down there and I'll just do circles until I find it. And, you know, it may take me an extra hour, but I don't care. I'm having fun. I used to do that on the old county roads in, in the county that I grew up on, grew up in. And I, there were times when, man, it started getting dark, and I'm thinking, will I ever get out of here? Because there's no road signs. There's no, you know, the, the, the roads weren't named back then. You, you just drove on gravel. But it was amazing the things I found. But that's not what I'm trying to do here. I don't want to just fly blind. I want to get in, but, but I know I have a destination. That's where my hope is. My faith says, spiritually speaking, that's my destination. But I have that destination now. Why? Because Jesus has already earned me that. We prayed for Randy. Physically, literally, because of the effects of the stroke, he can't speak right now. But Jesus says, the Word says, by His stripes you are healed. My hope says, I'm healed. My faith says, I have it right now. Well, let's see the proof. There's my proof. Jesus said, by His stripes I am healed. Well, if you're healed, let's hear you talk. No, you don't understand. My proof is that by His stripes, not by what I can manifest. What I can manifest has nothing to do with the Word. The Word says I'm healed. Yeah, but if you're not walking it, if you don't feel it, it's not true. Well, then God's a liar. Throw your Bible away and go have fun on Sunday morning instead of coming to church. 
I'm serious. If it's not true, forget it. Why would we fight? Why not just go eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and everything's just going to be oblivion? If there are not eternal consequences to what we believe and how we live, then give up on it. Be honest with yourself. Either sell out or get out. And I'm not talking get out of the church. Don't misunderstand me. I'm saying your Christian walk. If you call yourself a Christian, sell out to being a Christian. And if you can't sell out, then at least be honest enough to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a sellout. It's time we, there's not much time left in this world. And even if Jesus doesn't come back for a thousand years, there are people dying and going to hell right now. We need to get about the Father's business. And His business is saving souls, healing bodies. And we need to follow Him and do His Word. And if we're not going to do it, why are we calling ourselves a Christian? When we go back, back up to, you're there in Romans 11, back up to, or excuse me, you're in Hebrews chapter 11, Back up to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to, well, I'm going to read verse um, 23. But let me just say this before. If, if faith is the substance of things hoped for, if I don't have hope, I can't have faith. I cannot. Because my faith is anchored on what I'm hoping for. If I don't have a vision of what it is I believe, I can't say that's mine now. Well, I just have faith. For what? What scripture? It still amazes me to this day, and I preach this to where people are sick of hearing it. They say, well, I'm believing for this. What scripture are you standing on? I bug my kids with this all the time. Because they, they, other than my wife, my kids and my grandkids are the most important people in my life. No, bar none. And if they say, I'm, I'm praying about this or pray about this for me, I say, well, what scripture are we standing on? And sometimes they get a little exasperated. And I want to get exasperated back. If you don't have scripture, where's your hope? Well, my hope is that this is what I want. Where did God promise you that? Well, it's all through the Bible. Well, pick one. If it's all through the Bible, it ought to be easy to find a scripture. Amen? So when, when we say this is what I'm hoping for, you need to be able to go tag that hope and say, this is what God said. This is where Jesus promised this to me. This is where he paid the price for this on the cross for me. And because of what he did, I'm believing it. Now you got something to stand on. Amen? Now Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. I'm not going to read it for time's sake, but you can go back and read it later. Jesus basically is summing up here what we have been given in the new birth. Who we are in Christ. And because of all that, he comes to verse 23. Let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope, this future thing I'm looking for, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Notice, I have something to do. He says, let us hold fast. I like the way Mounts translates that. He said, let us continue to hold fast. This is, and I'm not going to try to get way over into the Greek, but this basically means I need to continuously do this. Continuously. Excuse me. This is an action that only I can do, and I can never quit doing it. But, and that's because it's in the active voice, the present tense. But this particular word is also in the subjunctive mood. Subjunctive mood means it's conditional. Which means, it says there at the end of the verse, he who is promised, has promised, is faithful. I'm going to hold, hold fast what I say. The word there, confession, is homologia. Homo meaning same, logia meaning word. Have the same words to say about your situation that God says about your situation. That's your confession. This isn't something you just put on. It's something that you're putting on because God says this is how it is. But I only, only as I do that continuously can I expect Him to be faithful to His promise. When I quit confessing it, and when I start confessing my circumstances, then I'm no longer going to be applying and activating His promise. His promise to me is only activated in my life as long as I'm saying the same thing about His promise that He says about His promise. Does that make sense? I have to line my life up with the Word. And once the Word says, this is yours... I need to continuously declare in my own life, not necessarily so that other people know it. And I, let me just tag this. We're not going to go there. But in, in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul tells us that part of the reason that Jesus came, died, seated us in heavenly places, gave us all the things he did, was so that we could declare to principalities and powers the wisdom the multiphasic wisdom of God. That's our function in this earth, if you want to boil it down to it. My job is to declare to the devil, this is who Jesus is, this is what Jesus has done for me, and I don't care what you do, I'm going to see it active in my life. That's why he put us here. If you think about it, I'm not sure of the exact number, but during Jesus' day, there were maybe... 30, 40 million people in the entire earth. Wasn't a huge population. Well, how many people did Jesus minister to? It says he ministered to, to multitudes. One of the multitudes says that he had 5,000 men. Well, those men had families there with him, with them. So maybe he had a crowd of 35, 40. Let's just exaggerate. He had a crowd of 50,000 people. Well, if he, if he ministered to 50,000 at one point, and he did that, I don't know, say four or five times in, in his ministry, let's just say, okay, he ministered in some way or another 
to a quarter of a million people in his lifetime directly. That's not a lot compared to 30 or 40 million. That's why Jesus said, it's better for you if I go and the Holy Spirit comes and he indwells you. Because then instead of there just being me on the earth trying to minister to everyone because I'm the only channel that the Holy Spirit has in this planet, suddenly I've got thousands of vessels that have the Holy Spirit in them and are seated with me in heavenly places and they can go out and declare the same word that I had and lay hands on the sick and see them recover and see the miracles happen and see greater works than I ever had. Why? Because I'm in them. And suddenly, not a person on the planet is very far away from being ministered to. And we get saved and think, wow, this is all about me. I'm going to believe God for prosperity. I'm going to believe God for money. I'm going to, there, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. The only thing wrong with that is when that becomes your chief motive is to make my life comfortable so that I can sit back. Well, let me just meddle here. I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy me a Powerball ticket because Powerball is about half a million dollars or half a billion dollars today. I don't know what Powerball is. I don't pay attention to it. But God, God could, could give me that and I'd give, I'd give a tithe off of that. Look at the money I could give. And what's your motivation? What are you going to do with the rest of that money? Even if you give 90 and keep 10, what is your tendency going to be? I guarantee you I know what your tendency is be because I know what my tendency would be. My tendency would be to sit down. I don't have to worry about money anymore. I don't have to believe God for anything. All my needs are taken care of. And suddenly, I don't have to work. I can buy a boat. I can go to the lake. I can buy me an airplane, learn to fly. And I don't have to buy one of those little four-seaters. I'm buying me a big plane. So what if I have to invest $20 million? I got it. And suddenly, you're looking at stuff. And suddenly, stuff becomes more important than the Word. Now, believe me, I'm not against God prospering us. God wants to prosper you. But you know there's one primary way that God prospers His people? It's through W-O-R-K. And if you're, not, if, if you're not willing to give up everything you own, all of your stuff, anything you're not willing to give up and give that God tells you to give, it's just become an idol to you. And God will tell you, you don't own it anymore. I told you to give it. Well, I don't want to give it. Lord, I like it. Well, okay, keep it. But you're a thief because it belongs to that person I told you to give it to. My point, we, God's called us to a different existence. He's called us. Remember, he owed money. It came time to take, pay taxes and and. and the disciples came and said, hey, the tax collector needs some money. Did Jesus reach into his purse or his pocket and pull out money? No, he never had a lot of money, but he had everything. He said, go down and throw a line in. First fish you catch, there's going to be a gold piece in that fish's mouth. Pull out that gold piece and go pay our taxes. Now, I'm, I'm not a fisherman. 
never have been, don't want to be. But if I knew every fish I pulled out of the water would have a piece of gold in its mouth, believe me, I'd learn to fish real quick. Well, if I have that need and God says, this is how I'm going to meet your need, he hasn't forgotten how to tell fish to go find a piece of lost gold and bring it up to you. He can get you what you need if you will walk for him. He'll get stuff to you. Our, our, our goal has to be, God, I want to find out what your will is for my life. And once I know your will for my life, I'm selling out to it. I'm going to say the same thing about my life that you say, I say about my life. And then I'm going to trust you for everything. And I don't care if it costs me everything, because everything I've got is yours anyway. I mean, what if God, supposition, what if God appeared to you today and said, okay, I want you to go home, get out the papers on your house, get out the papers on your car. I want you to sell it all. Take the cash, go give it to a missions group, and then I want you to go and do such and such in my ministry. If you knew it was God, could you do it? amazing not a lot of amens there now I'm not saying God's going to call you to give away everything but I will tell you if you're not willing to give away anything everything you've got will become an idol he asked Abraham I want you to offer your only son the son of promise you go up and you stick a knife in his heart and God had made it very clear for for years human sacrifice no it is evil do not partake in that. And yet when Abraham knew that God said, you go sacrifice your son, he was willing. He was willing to do what he knew God said was wrong. Why? Because he knew God said it. And when, when Isaac said, Father, I, I see the, the wood, I see the fire, I don't see a sacrifice. What was Abraham's reply? God will provide. He just knew what God, that what God said, and he was walking it out, and he trusted that God would provide. He was willing to go ahead, and, and whether he thought God will have to resurrect him or not, but he was willing. God wants our willingness. He wants us to say the same thing and do the same thing that he's doing. Now, um, example of this. Don't go back to, to Exodus chapter 17. But as you go back there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul in 1 Corinthians is talking about the Israelites. And we're going to read this account here in Exodus 17, verse 5 and 6. And in, in Paul's accounting of the, the, the wilderness experience, in 1 Corinthians 10.4, he says, All drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. So when we read here in Exodus, and we're going to go and read in, in uh, Numbers in a second, about a rock that's going to provide water. That rock is Christ. That doesn't mean that Jesus physically manifested himself as a rock. We're not worshiping rocks. But that rock was a type of Christ. 
And the water that came out, it was literal water that came out of that rock. And that literal water, if you read in John 4 and in John 7, in John 4, Jesus was talking to the woman of the well, and he said, Woman, if, if you knew who was talking to you, I would give you water, and you would never thirst again. In fact, I will give you water so that a well of water will spring up in you and give you eternal life. He's talking about the Holy Spirit and our individual salvation experience. And then in John 7, he's speaking to on the last day of, of the feast, and he's been in the, in the um, um, temple proclaiming his doctrine, proclaiming who he is. And on the last day, he says, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart, out of his belly, will flow rivers of living water. So the water that we're going to look at in Exodus and in Numbers, Jesus is the rock, and the water is a type of the Holy Spirit or the type of an evangelistic experience. Now the well that wells up in us is our own personal salvation. Jesus is in me, I've got the Holy Spirit in me, and I can lift out water out of that well to meet my needs. The river that flows out of my belly is not for me. I can drink a lot. I, Gina and his, the, my family laughs at me because I judge waitresses at, a, at a, a restaurant by whether or not they can keep my glass filled. And it doesn't matter whether it's soda, whether it's water, whether it's tea, they have to work hard to keep my glass filled. In fact, most of them, if they've ever waited on me before, they, when they set the first one down, about 30 seconds later, they come down and set a spare one down. Because if I eat a plate full of food, I'm going to have at least 30 to 40 ounces of liquid with it. I just drink a lot of fluids. Well, I can drink a lot, but I can't drink a river. I grew up on a little river, and it was a, I mean, I look at it, I grew up near the Ohio, but we also had a little wild river. Even our little river, the Blue River, it's, it's a tiny little river. But you take it at its driest point in the summertime, you take it when it's only about three foot wide and about six inches deep, you try to drink a stream of water that's three foot wide and six foot, six inches deep, it'll drown you. You can't drink a river. The river's not for me, the river is for everyone else. And I hope my river is not three foot wide and six inches deep. I want my river to look like the Ohio River or the Mississippi River. I want to have enough of the Holy Ghost flowing out of me to reach multitudes and to minister to multitudes. Amen? So let's go to Exodus 17. The situation here, verse 1 through 4, they're in the desert, they're thirsty, they're dry, they have no water, and they're ready to stone Moses. Why in the world, of, did you just bring us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt? In verse 5 of Exodus 17, this is the first time Moses comes up against this rock. In verse 5, the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel, also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. The rod that Moses struck the river was the rod that he struck the river Nile in Egypt. And when he struck that river, the river turned to blood. It was a rod of rebuke. It was a rod of, of, of correction, a rod of judgment. 
The Nile was sacred to the Egyptians. It was a god in and of itself because their life came out of the Nile. It was the Nile that came up in flood stage that fertilized and watered their crops so they could have a mighty empire. And they worshiped that river. And God said, I'm judging that river. So this is an act of judgment. What did the rock do? Nothing. The rock's a type of Christ. What did Jesus do? Nothing. But he's about to get judged. Verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. So Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. This rock was a type of Christ. Moses took the rod of correction, the rod of judgment, and he struck that rock. He judged that rock. Jesus was judged on the cross. And he was judged as sin. Not because he was a sinner, but because he took on all of our sin. And out of that act of, of being a, taking our sin, waters burst forth to water the entire universe, the entire earth. And people can be born again. Now, 38 years later, we come to Numbers chapter 20. In Numbers chapter 20, the first six verses, we got the same situation we had before. They haven't learned a thing in 38 years. Sounds like me. They're out in the desert. There's no water. We're going to die. Oh, God, why did you bring me out here? I'm just, I'm so weary. I'm so tired. Verse 7, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Notice what he says here, though. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. What does Moses do? Well, let's read on. It says, Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. God said, take the rod with you. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Suddenly it's not God, it's me, Moses, the man of God. Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Notice, God provided even though Moses sinned. You can have all the wrong motives. God will still use you to bless other people. But you won't be blessed. You'll be judged. But what was it that Moses did? He said, God, the first time we did this, I hit this with a rock of judgment. I'm doing it the same way. I don't care what you said i got a better way. It's Christ in both instances. The first time Jesus was judged, the second time he says, use your words, say the same thing. Sounds a lot like what we just read. You need to say the same thing. Hold fast to your confession of hope. I said, this is who you are. This is what you've got. 
you need to declare to your mountain, Mark 11, 23, by, according to a lot of people, Brother Hagin wrote that verse, I can tell you with authority, he did not, but he did live it. Mark eleven twenty three. I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things that he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. The unspoken thing here, you've got to have God's word on it. You're just not going to believe willy-nilly for all kinds of anything. Well, I can believe for a Cadillac. Has God promised you a Cadillac? I guarantee you, if God spoke to you and said, I'm going to give you a Cadillac, then you could start declaring that you have a Cadillac. And God will bring it into your life. But if God hadn't spoken it to you, He's not any, under any obligation to bring it to you. This principle only works when we are putting our, saying the same thing that God says. Romans 10, verse 6, The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. And then Paul gives two examples, negative examples. But in verse 8, he picks that thought up. He says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess, homologia, same thing he said before. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then he gives the general principle. With the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Let me translate that. With the heart you believe what God says about you. With your mouth you confess and you see it activated and come into your life in reality. But it comes down to what you say. Now, do not misunderstand me. This is not some kind of Harry Potter magic wand. God's not a genie. You don't go up and rub his belly and he'll just give you whatever you want. You have to anchor your hope in the word. You have to anchor your soul with what God says about you. But once God says, this is what I've given you, this is who you are, this is what you can have, then latch on to it and do not let go. Let me give you just a practical, advert, a practical uh, example. Acts 11, this is where Cornelius, the angel came to Cornelius and said, look, you, know, you need to go down and get Paul or Peter to come and talk to you. Acts 11, verse 13. This is Cornelius speaking. He told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words, logia, will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Do you have somebody in your household, child, brother, sister, husband, wife, whatever, that you're believing to see God active in their lives, either getting saved or see them come out of some sin? You have a word right there. Peter came to Cornelius and gave them words by which Cornelius and his household would be saved. Now, I can't believe for my kids. I can believe God's best for them. I can pray over them, and I do. 
But if God deals with them about something, they have to believe God for, their, for themselves because they're adults. But if they're not living according to God's will, I can go and I can pray for them. And I can take that promise right there. God, you said to Cornelius, I'll give you words and my whole household will be saved. Well, my whole household's not saved. Or they are saved, but they're not walking for God. What do I do? I start declaring what God says about my household. I quit griping about them. I quit telling everybody that will stand still for 30 seconds, my kids, they are just so messed up. They're into this and this and this, and I just don't know what's going to happen. I'm so afraid they're going to go to hell. Why would you want to curse somebody with that? I want to declare what the Word says. I'm going to come before God, and I'm going to say, Lord, you told Cornelius that, that these words that, that Peter would preach to him would save his whole household. My household is no less important to me than Cornelius' household was to him, and I'm believing and devil, listen to me right now. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I think, he said, the, the eyes of the uninformed or the eyes of those that are blind are blinded by the enemy. Satan, you have to take your hands off. My son, my daughter, my, my sister, my brother, my spouse, it doesn't matter who it is. You take your hands off of them. The blinders are coming off. They're going to see. Now, the Word also says in Romans, when it talks about sin and the law, it says God gave us the law so that sin would be shown up to be utterly sinful. So when you do that, don't be surprised if things get worse before they get better. Because God may say what most counselors do with addicts, you're going to have to let them hit bottom. You're going to have to let their sin get so utterly sinful that they wake up one day and say, my God, what am I doing? You've got to be like the prodigal son and get tired of living with the pigs. And they want father's house got better. But I'm not going to declare that they're in the pig pen. I'm declaring that they're coming out of the pig pen. I'm going to back the devil off of their lives. I'm going to unmask the truth so that they will know the truth. And, and, tell, and mark them with the gospel, God, you are going to get somebody, somehow, in their lives, proclaim the gospel, and they're going to be receptive, and they're going to hear it, and they're going to recognize it, and they're going to step into it, and they're going to change their ways. And I'm believing you, and from that point on, every time I talk about them, I'm going to declare to anybody that will stand still, my kids are saved. My kids are serving God. My kids are healthy. Amen? Why? Because God said it. I didn't say it. You've got a promise. Do you care enough about them to fight for them? Do you care enough about them to take your hope? And here's the key. My hope sees they're in the middle of the pig pen. My God, why are they in the pig pen? Do they not know that place stinks? Take that hope. Paul said, I'm going to cast down every imagination and every vain thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. I have to grab my mind. Remember, Paul said in Corinthians, or Colossians, set your mind on things above. I grab my thinking and I say, get over here. There's where you're supposed to be. God said, I will give you words and your household will be saved. But God, 
get over here. I said, but God, I don't care. There's no but God. I said they're going to be saved. You may have to do it a million times a day. But eventually, you'll just start, you'll, get, you'll start to gravitate back to the pig pen and you'll, you'll just recognize it. I'm not, I'm not declaring the pig pen. I'm declaring that they're back in my household. They're back in God's household. They're serving Him. Well, where's your evidence? Right here. The Bible told me that. And I'm going to put my trust in Him. I've got, that's all I've got is Him. But if I've got Him, i got all I need. Amen? But then we come back to Hebrews 23. Let us continue, 10.23, excuse me, not 23 chapters in Hebrews. Let us continue to hold fast. I have to continually take myself back over because it's in the subjunctive mood. It only is active as long as I'm there. When I get off on I may be the only thing they've got. And believe me, you all know some of my story. Some of my story I've never shared, never will share. But I can go back through my entire life, and I can mark down time after time after time where my life could have been snuffed out in a heartbeat. I was a typical boy. I was a risk taker. I like to drive my car hard and fast. And there were times when I got in the middle and I thought, oh man, I am, this is not going to end well. And suddenly, miraculously, you know, car sideways, going 70 down a two-lane road with huge embankments on either side and nothing but trees. And I'm not wearing a seatbelt. And I'm in a car that's got a metal dashboard. You remember those? Death staring me in the face. I'm a teenager. I was a good driver. I wasn't that good. And suddenly, the car came around and righted itself, and I'm back in my lane. Well, how in the world did that happen? Somebody was praying for me. Either my mama was on her knees, which happened a lot, or God had somebody somewhere praying for me that I'm not even aware of. Maybe when we get to heaven, we'll be walking down the street one day and you say, I recognize you. You were praying that day, weren't you? Yeah, I didn't know you're the one I was praying for. I didn't know that. That's why when God impresses you, you need to pray. And you need to pray now. Lord, what do I pray about? I don't know. Well, just pray. Start praying in the Spirit. There may be something. No, not no maybe. There is someone somewhere that needs your prayers. So surrender to God. Well, it's not convenient. Is convenient going to be your idol that you bow down to? Because I guarantee you, living the Christian life will never be real convenient. Let me finish with this. James chapter 1. This is part of the key. Verse 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. You've heard a lot today. You've been rebuked, you've been built up, you've been rebuked again, you've been built up, you've been rebuked again. Now, there's a couple of things you can do. You can get offended. I guarantee you there's some people already left because they were offended. I can't help it. 
if, if, if you have offense in your heart, you'll get offended. But if you have love in your heart, you're going to say, yeah, this is a correction and I need to get, I need to change something. Be doers of the word. You've heard it. Are you going to put it to work in your life? And if you are, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who observes his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Sounds a lot to me like Mark chapter 4 with the sower of the, the, the parable of the sower. The word sown on the thorny ground, and immediately, immediately the devil comes to steal the word. Why? Because the person doesn't put it to work. If you don't put it to work, it's gone. It will, it will leave. Verse 25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. This is not just something that... Well, I've read that verse. Really? Read it again. Well, I've read it a thousand times. I'll read it a thousand and one. Continue in it. Not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. This is not something you try. This is something you do, and 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 you, quit, you get to quit doing it. When you're standing before Jesus and he says, well done, that's when you can quit. Then, you know what you get to do? You get to run over to the, to the banister in heaven and say, come on, guys, you can do it. Don't give up. Keep going. Keep going. You can do it. I know you can. That's exactly what the Lord said to us last week. Don't quit. You know what heaven's doing? They're standing up there around the banister saying, don't quit. I wish I, had, I wish I had a body so I could come down there and jump in with you. Do you know what a privilege it is? You're alive. You got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You can preach the Word. You can go out and lay hands on the sick. You can see miracles in your life. There's never a generation that's ever lived that has the privilege that we have. How many times have you heard the story? Well, I don't want a country church. I want a church at the edge of hell. I want to be there dragging them out with smoke on their clothes. Well, honey, that's where we live. We are at the edge of hell. We are at the end of the age. It's our job to drag them out. Preach the word. Even if you've got to use words. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.